God confirms things. I mean, you know, you pray and you hope and you 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 want to be on the same page with Him, but uh, we're still human, and and um, sometimes it's just difficult to know. Um, and I, I was kind of feeling that way about uh, the the subject we were going to look at this morning, um, but unbeknownst to them. Um, Byron gets up and he reads my life verse, uh, which is 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It, it hangs in my office. It's on the back of all my business cards. It's uh, written in my playbook. Um, uh, and then Shane reads uh, about endurance from uh, the book of James, uh, which was one of the things that uh, I thought we might reference this morning. Uh, and then the other Shane um, sings a song about running to the Father again and again and again and again. And so, um, so thanks, Lord. Uh, I appreciate it. I really do. Uh, for somebody like me who has to have the dots put pretty close together, that, that means a whole lot. We are going to talk this morning about the subject of consistency. Um, as our, our third mile marker in this little series that uh, we have done in July. Um, we've talked about tithing, we've talked about living in a spirit of forgiveness, but this morning I wanna, I wanna talk about consistency. And there's a real simple truth that successful people do consistently what others only do occasionally. Let me say that one more time. Successful people do consistently what others only do occasionally. And it doesn't matter what subject that you're talking about or what your level of success or definition of success is. The formula is the same. We could be talking about, um, you know, uh, those of us that are in the stage of life where we're going to school and, um, boy, those semesters get long and it seems like we never will get to the end. And uh, you realize that once you finish that process that really it was just a, uh, a place of endurance. Uh, people with college degrees stick with it. Uh, they're not necessarily any smarter or um, have any more capabilities than anybody else, but uh, they learn to play the game and, and, and they endure, just like Shane read from James. Uh, the same is true at work, the same is true when you're talking about raising a family or anything else. Uh, successful people do consistently what others will only do occasionally. And so this morning I want to read probably one of my favorite stories in Scripture, uh, certainly one of my favorite ones from the Old Testament. And I'd like to stand here today and tell you because I'm so spiritually deep that it resonates with me, but you know better. I like it because it ends with lions eating people. You know, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a big cat guy. I don't necessarily have anything for, for house cats, you know, um, but I like big cats. I like tigers, I like lions. Um, I have always wanted one, um, kind of like a tractor, you know. Uh, I, I, I've just, I just, I don't know. They just intrigue me for, for no end. And, and so God 
gives us this story. And if you have your, your Bibles this morning and you want to look with me in Daniel in chapter 6, uh, I would encourage you, I really would, because I think it's, a, it's an interesting read. You know, some of the things in scriptures are a necessary read. Um, Leviticus is a necessary read. It's good for us, but it's not always the most interesting or intriguing. This is an interesting story. And so I would encourage you to, um, you know, take a few moments and read it in its entirety. Um, but for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to read um, just a little bit in the middle of the story. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 6 of chapter 6. And we'll, we'll catch up in, in just a second. It says, So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfects, satraps, advisors, and governors, they have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, Darius, your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree put the decree in writing. And now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to the Lord just as he had done before. We know the story. We know, you know, we've all heard about Daniel in the lion's den. It's a great vacation Bible school story. Um, Daniel lived at the time of King Darius. Uh, he was devout in his faith, but he was also really good at his job. And Darius had um, divided the responsibilities of the kingdom uh, among these different uh, people, these administrators, and uh, Daniel had risen uh, even above them to the point where Darius had planned to put Daniel in charge of just about everything and everybody. Well, the other guys didn't like it. Imagine that. Controversy at work. These satraps, I, that, that word's always puzzled me exactly what that means. And if you look at it really, really hard, I think it means junior high girl. But anyway, <laughs> they were just, you know, oh my goodness. They were, they were, um, heavy, heavy maintenance, okay, these guys. And they were jealous. It's just that simple. They were jealous of Daniel. And they got together and said, what are we going to do about this guy? The king thinks he's better than the rest of us. Um, and we really just don't like him. And one of them finally says, well, I don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to have to be something to do with his, his faith, his God, because he's too good at his job. So they come up with a scheme that we just read about, and, and they convince Darius to, to issue this order that if anybody prays during the next 30 days to anybody besides the king, well, then they're thrown into the lion's den. 
they did that because they knew that's exactly what Daniel's practice was. You see, he was consistent in what he did. He was consistent in what he did, and that's where he was attacked by the other people. The thing that's important for us to understand is the last verse that we read there, which said that after the decree had been issued, after the consequences had been spelled out, Daniel went home, sat in his window, or sat facing his window, which was open where everybody could see, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done before. In order to truly be consistent in anything, circumstances can have no bearing or impact on what God calls us to be consistent about. And that was where he was. And that's where the people who were out to get him knew that he would be. There's, a, there's some things about consistency that I want us to look at this morning. And the first one is this. Consistency is a matter of devotion over desire. Devotion over desire. When Jesus was in the garden, uh, right after the Last Supper, and he's praying, and he's asking his father to spare him from the inevitability that's, that's about to befall him, that was his desire. And there's nothing wrong with desire. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. The emotions that Jesus felt right then were honest, and they were real for him. And if he felt them, we can guarantee that they were right. When he was in the garden, that was his desire. When he was hanging on the cross, that was his devotion. You see, my actions can be altered by my desire and by my feelings if that's what I go by. Because they're going to change based on those circumstances. If things are going well for me, then that's going to put me in one frame of mind and I may behave in a certain way if I live by my desires. If they're not going well for me, that may change my attitude, that may change my perspective, that may change the way that I deal with things if the desire that I have is what I follow. But if I live by what I'm devoted to, that's a whole different deal. That's a whole different plane. Even his own desires did not change the devotion that God had for each of us. And even when it was completely within his power to do so, he was consistent with the plan and the purpose that the Father had put him on earth for in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? The difference between desire and devotion. I know that we're talking about Daniel and, and he's been uh, alluded to in scripture as being so uh, good at what he does and, and, and really an example for us to look up to. But I just got a feeling that there were times when Daniel did not want to pray. You ever been there? You ever been there? 
If you're not raising your hand, you're lying in church right now. Yeah. There are times when we don't feel like praying. There are times when we don't feel like serving. There are times when we don't want to participate in whatever God has laid out for us to do. And if we go by those wants and feelings and desires, we're going to give in to our agenda. But if we hang on to what we are devoted to, then we'll be in step with God. Our uh, life group lesson this morning was from Galatians, and it talks about walking with the Holy Spirit, being in step with him, and the Spirit being in opposition to the flesh. I thought, man, that's exactly what Daniel must have had. He had a devotion and a dedication to his faith and his God that did not alter his consistency even in the face of potential adversity. Real, really, really important there. Well, how do you get there? How do you get from desire to devotion? I think it's all about pre-decisions. Pre-decisions. Determining what we're going to do before we find ourselves in that circumstance. Making conscious decisions that we're devoted to when the heat is not on yet. When we're, when we're still um, in a place where we've got all of our energy and all of our faculties and, and everything that we need to make that decision. Because if we wait until we get to that point, then our natural instinct is going to be to re revert back to those emotions, back to that desire part of us. Very difficult not to do that. Uh, guys, can we put that picture up? I almost want to cry when I see it. That's the statue of Coach Landry that stands out in front of AT&T Stadium. Melvin, you remember those days back when we won. A um, couple of things I want to draw your attention to. Coach Landry was infamous for being stoic. People thought that he did not have emotions, and uh, he did not coach as an emotional uh, person, and really nothing could be further from the truth. He decided as a 35-year-old man that for the time in which he was actually working, he had to remove those things from his tool belt. He had to rely on his education, and he had to rely on his knowledge and his preparation. He pre-decided those things. That um, flap that the statue has there that represents him holding that in his hand, that's real common today. That was his play card. Coach Landry was one of the first people ever, him and Vince Lombardi, to write a list of plays that they would use during the course of the game in certain situations and have it with them on the sideline. All coaches do that today. 
but he was one of the first. And, and I've, I've, um, I've gotten to see a couple of them uh, over the years, and it would be so specific and so minute. On third and one inside the 20-yard line, we run this. On first and 10 in the second half with a 15-point lead or greater, we do this on third down. Or we do this in the third quarter, I'm sorry. Very, very specific. And he was asked one time, why? Why did he break things down like this? And his answer was simple. I want to take the guesswork out of it when I am emotionally involved in wanting to win the game. See, I know on Tuesday what's the best thing to call. On Sunday, I might be distracted. So he pre-decided. He pre-decided. Byron's dad used to tell me a story, and I don't know if he, this was just for the girls, Byron, or not, but um, I think he thought probably you and Hayden were, you know, too far gone. But anyway, um, he, used to, he used to tell us that he would tell his kids when they reached the age when they were about to start dating to go write down what a good date should look like. Write down the places that you should go. Write down the things that you should do. Write down um, how the other person should treat you in that situation. Don't wait until you're in the, the heat of the moment to make those critical decisions. Oh, man, that's, that's, that's a lot of good advice. Pre-deciding what we do helps us to not be bound by our desires but to cling to our devotion. The next thing, um, when we're talking about being consistent, okay, we need to understand that consistency is not, um, it's not uh, a quantity issue, it's a quality issue. It's quality over quantity. Many things Daniel obviously did well in his life, but the thing that we're recalled to is, how, uh, is about his prayer life. And I want to give us this morning the permission to maybe back off just a little bit and not feel that we must be 100% consistent in every possible thing, and if we're not, then we're automatically failures at all the rest. That's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what the story alludes to. Quality versus quantity. What we're saying really, in a nutshell, is that you and the Holy Spirit need to determine what your core values are, what those things are in your life that God calls you not to compromise on, those things that God calls you to be devoted to regardless of any other situation and to understand that they may be different slightly than someone else's. You may not be called to support foreign missions on an active, ongoing basis. Don't let the devil 
con you and lie to you and say, well, because you're not doing that all the time, you really, really don't have a good relationship with God. No, it just may not be where you're supposed to play. What are your core values? What are the things that are rock solid of importance in your life? Be consistent with those things. Be consistent with those things. If God doesn't call you to a particular area of ministry or service, that's okay. He has someone else to do that. But look around where we are. Look at where Daniel was. Working for uh, an infidel king who did not believe in his God initially. And Daniel decided, hey, this is where I'm planted. This is where I need to work. This is what I need to do. Your core values should be few, and they should be simple. And simple does not mean easy. Don't misunderstand. Simple is not a, a synonym for easy. I think about it like this, you know. God gave us ten commandments that are timeless. And we have hundreds of thousands of laws and statutes in our society. And if we just follow the 10 core values, there probably wouldn't be any reason to have a lot of those other things. What are your core values? What has God called you to? I've talked to you about a couple of mine. One was tithing. Uh, one was trying to live in an area uh, of, or not an area, but uh, a perspective of forgiveness. Um, and there are many others. There, there, there are others. But whatever God calls you to, be consistent in those things. And the final thing about consistency is this. It's all about practice and not perfection. It's all about practice and not perfection. Oh, Satan, he will, he will want to get in our minds when we start being consistent with things. And he'll want to tell us, yeah, that was pretty good. But you know, so-and-so does it better. Yeah, you know, that's, that, that's okay. You're doing better than you used to do, but let's be honest. You're really still not there yet. It's about practice, not perfection. Our efforts are made perfect on the cross. Not by what we do. I guess what I'm trying to say, guys, if God calls you to have a prayer life like he called Daniel to have a prayer life, and you miss one of those three times a day appointments on the first Tuesday of the last month of 1984, it's okay. Don't quit praying. Don't quit praying. You know, that's the way our, that, that we work and that we think, and the devil feeds into that, and if, if we have any kind of of, of uh, slip up, if we have any kind of distraction or anything takes us away from that. In other words, if we become human at any point along the way, then often it becomes the thought process that, hey, I blew it. I blew it. I guess I can do that again. Man, I'm sure glad that's not true. And so was the Apostle Peter. 
You remember him? Oh my gosh. The poster child for I blew it. God, if that's you out on the water, call me. Let me come out there. I'm going to walk out there. God, here I come, here I come, here. Whoa. Oh, no, Lord. Oh, no. I'll never deny you. No, no, no. I'll, I'll fight to the death for you. I mean, five minutes hadn't gone by and somebody said, weren't you with that Jesus? And he who, Jesus who? No, not me. Over and over and over and over again, Peter would display his humanness and he would mess up. And God would reclaim him. Jesus would, would bring him back. And he would, he would keep him right where he was always supposed to be. Being consistent in our faith doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. And that's such a cool thing. Because if that's what it meant, we're done. Okay? Check, please. We're out of here. I can't be perfect. But I can have a relationship with the one who is. And I can ride the coattails of his perfection. And he can do some things through my inadequacies that were never possible in my own strength. So cut yourself a break. Okay? Just because yesterday wasn't a banner day doesn't mean that tomorrow can't be. Scripture says that God's mercies are new every morning. We get a clean slate. We get to start over. And when we consistently and devotedly do that, he is faithful to bring that to something that the book of Jeremiah says we can even imagine. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we are so grateful that um, you deal with um, our, our failures and our shortcomings, with grace and with love and with acceptance. Never, ever, God, have we, have we done something where you have rejected us. Oh, you've always, you've always reached out and you've always brought us back and you've always said, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And in time, Father, you, you help us to, to reach those mile markers. You help us to reach those, those uh, uh, different areas in our lives that you've called us to. God, if there's somebody here this morning who doesn't know that kind of acceptance and that kind of unconditional um, forgiveness and love and patience, I pray that this might be the very day that they say yes to Jesus. And Father, for the rest of us who are privileged to be called your children, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for continuing to allow us to walk with you. We pray this together in your name. Amen.